0: Today's Plugged In Podcast is sponsored by Volvo Cars Canada. The Volvo XC40 Recharge is Volvo's first pure electric SUV. It's a powerful drive with no tailpipe emissions featuring more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And the integrated Google OS will always keep you fully connected, even without your phone. It truly is an SUV designed for the city and the rest of the planet. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. This week we delve into an often overlooked, yet very important, aspect of the EV revolution. Namely, who is going to fix your electric vehicle when it requires a repair? Obviously, for the first few years of ownership, while it is still under warranty, the dealership will look after service. But what about once it's off warranty and you want to take it to your local shop where there are mechanics you've trusted for years? Will they have the knowledge to work on an EV? The British Columbia Institute of Technology has been preparing automotive techs to do just that for a few years now. My guest today is Mubasher Faruqi, the Associate Dean, Automotive, of BCIT's School of Transportation. Mubasher began his 35 career in the automotive sector as a service technician, earned his Red Seal qualification in automotive mechanical repair and eventually rose to shop supervisor at one of BC's largest GM dealers. In 2005, he began a teaching career at BCIT, was elevated to the department head position, and played an integral role in the establishment of the Battery Electric Vehicle Technology and Service course that prepares automotive service technicians to safely diagnose and service high-voltage electric vehicles. Thanks very much for joining us today, Mubasher. My pleasure, Andrew. So before we get to the uh, the wonderful stuff that your school does, among many wonderful things, I'd like to ask you what the first electric vehicle you ever drove was.
1: Well, if we're including uh, hybrid vehicles, it, it was a Chevy Volt. was the first uh, electric EV that that I was first introduced to and drove.
0: And your impressions of it at the time?
1: Loved it. I was really excited to see the technology sort of uh, catch on with a major manufacturer. At the time, there was a lot of anxiety with uh, range anxiety. So with the hybrid and the uh, EV side of the, the Chevy Volt, it was, it was a really exciting opportunity to, to get into the EV
0: game. And I guess with your background with General Motors, working as you did for so many years, they've been a bit of a leader, obviously, in the hybrid to EV side. So you're, you're well versed in that, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I guess you could frame it that way for sure. I mean, I have, uh, I guess, a little bit of an uh, affiliation with General Motors, as you know. So that was a, it was a nice fit at the time. Uh, we purchased a vehicle for BCIT, and, and that was what actually just launched us into getting more and more involved with how are we going to actually... Accomplish the tr- what is the training of the future going to look like for technicians? Because obviously that's what we do, and the, the Chevy Volt was kind of what opened the door to that.
0: Okay, interesting. That segues into my next question, which would be, when did uh, BCIT start integrating this kind of EV technology into the curriculum for your techs?
1: Yeah, officially, I guess unofficially, it was probably around two thousand and I'm going to say two thousand thirteen, fourteen. Okay. The Toyota Priuses and the Honda Insight were sort of vehicles that were sort of breaking ground. And our first acquisition of EV was the, the, the Chevy Volt as I mentioned. And that was when we started saying, okay, we need to start getting ready for the future. And we started informally introducing into our curriculum. Some of our programs have some flexibility built into their structure where we could actually call it introduce different concepts as we you know see fit. And that's how actually it started.
0: You guys obviously have your ear to the ground with industry, with dealerships, with service centers. So was it on the horizon back then with them even? Were there informal discussions with them saying, hey, we really need some young techs getting coming out of school ready to take these things on? Or was it more at that point where they were kind of teaching people in-house in the dealerships themselves, having you know experts come from head office to show them how these things work? Yeah,
1: well, interestingly enough, at the time, we were kind of on our own on this. And when I say on our own, it's because I'm not sure if most people know this, but with the manufacturers or OEMs, as we call them, they usually have their own training regimen, their in-house training programs. So we were sort of looking at who's going to train the technicians associated with the uh, independent shops. And that was our primary focus at the time. And, and to, to, to a large extent, it still is. So back then, we were thinking about all those technicians that are not affiliated with an OEM. And that was where we were thinking about, you know, sort of trying to fill that bridge, that gap.
0: Right. That's always something that I've, you know, talked about on this podcast and thought about a lot is, you know, I often ask guests what a tipping point is for when we know EVs have arrived. And to me, it's almost a sense of it's the the corner mechanic shop has an EV element to it. I mean, first generation Leafs are 10 years old. So, I mean, we are seeing a lot of these vehicles come back used and needing service maybe outside of dealerships, but is that there yet? I mean, are you seeing some of your young graduates getting jobs outside of the traditional dealerships and working on EVs like in, in a small shop?
1: For sure. It's it's not a large scale at the, at this point in time. We're getting to that point, and that's that was really our primary focus and what was really motivating us to make sure that we were staying at the forefront of being able to not only learn that technology ourselves, but being able to teach those uh, technicians, up-and-coming technicians that are not affiliated with the OEMs. And, and as it stands today, the OEs are looking after themselves. They got all their dealer techs trained and, and being able to bring them up to speed. But... There is definitely, in my opinion, a gap of training those uh, technicians that are affiliated with, uh, without the not affiliated, sorry, with the OEMs. That is our, like I said, our primary focus. That's what we're driving to, to see if we can make sure that those technicians are trained. And to, to answer your question more pointedly is the fact that it, it's starting to it start, we're starting to get that point. There's not many shops out there, at least that I'm aware of that are doing a lot of EV repairs because primarily a lot of them are, still under warranty so they're they're going to the oes or their dealerships for servicing but we're starting to see more and more of a, a increase in technicians or shops that want that training need that training and want to get sort of uh, into the ev game as i call it
0: yeah it's almost a chicken and egg thing isn't it with the inventory of, of evs have you know almost like vaccines it's been painfully slow but then all of a sudden it's a whoosh and and we seem to be on the precipice of the whoosh when it comes to evs if you believe what all the oems are promising in the next few years.
1: Exactly. And that's the part that I find uh, exciting because it looks like our planning and our prediction is coming to fruition because you're seeing, I mean, it doesn't, it's pretty obvious, at least in the lower mainland, that EVs are everywhere now. I mean, just take, take a look at Teslas. Yeah, I, I can remember just three, four years ago, you'd be kind of, oh, there's a Tesla. But now they're, it's like commonplace. They're everywhere. It just shows you that all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, it seems EVs have just exploded onto the scene.
0: Yeah. Are there other programs like this at other post-secondary in Canada?
1: Interestingly enough, it, it's a good question, and there's a little bit of backstory to that, which I, I'll dive into if you don't mind. When we actually launched our EV training program, we were actually uh, working with the Ministry of Energy, Mines, and uh, Low Carbon Innovation. And we got funding for our uh, the curriculum development associated with our, our, our program through them. And part of the agreement that we had struck at the time was, once we get our, our program up and running, which we have, Um, We are now going to are actually in the process of training the faculty at other post-secondary institutions across the province. So now we can make that training available um, provincially. So that just started. We just actually launched that uh, a couple of months ago. Um, But that's really what was the whole uh, another one of the things that we were trying to do when we started the project is make sure that we can a start it. Uh, fine-tune it, and then now uh, allow others in the province through the post-secondary system to get that training. And hopefully we'll be seeing the uh, fruits of that labor pretty sh- pretty soon.
0: So the EV course at BCIT includes a six-hour online module that the student would do prior, and then it's 30 hours of classroom and shop training. Um, what specifically are the students learning about in that atmosphere?
1: Well, in that atmosphere, we usually typically start with Safety is an obvious place to start, but we're just, we want to make sure that we've got st- st- our students. Well, let me, can I backtrack a second here? Sure, please. I need to provide you some context that because when we were, you have to keep in mind that we are trying to train technicians that are already in the industry, have some experience on vehicles. And doing that is a bit of a challenge because in our industry, it's very, very uh, difficult for most shops to release their technicians for training. Because if they're not, if they're training, they're not at work, and they're not fixing cars. So our course was primarily structured so that we can provide a little bit of online content, get kind them, of get them prepped, and then bring them in for five days of hands-on um, diagnostic um, safety, as I mentioned, getting them introduced to many types of symptoms and conditions that we have seen um, of, uh, that EVs exhibit, so they can do some troubleshooting understand the the, uh, the lay of the land as far as an EV is concerned, uh, work around them safely and common diagnostic symptoms that, you know, that arise with, with most of the EVs on the road today. So it was, it's kind of structured that way, but very, very heavy practical emphasis on safety and uh, troubleshooting, if you want to simplify things. Yeah.
0: And when you talk about safety, obviously, you're talking about the, the power supply, the fact that there's a lot of voltage in these cars
1: exactly you know from a voltage standpoint you're dealing with voltages that obviously can be lethal right and what's happening now as manufacturers are trying to increase the range of a battery uh, they're finding that they're going to have to up the voltage of the battery so typically right now today's cars you're seeing voltage battery voltages around the 400 volt range as early as next year uh, you're going to see manufacturers coming out with 800 volt battery systems so safety is an absolutely paramount focus of, of of technician training and you, obviously, you know, we have to do that correctly because you, you don't want somebody poking around one of these vehicles if they don't know what they're doing. And that's obviously why we're choosing to uh, just work with technicians that have some experience on vehicles. It's not sort of like a course that designed just for a hobbyist, so to speak.
0: Because I did read in the, in the curriculum that it's the program is designed kind of for third and fourth year auto tech apprentices. Is that kind of the sweet spot? That's kind of when you'd like to get them?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what we've identified um, as, a, as a good starting point because when you get into your third and fourth year uh, levels of apprenticeship, then you're doing a lot of electrical diagnostics and you're, you're, you're very familiar with the, uh, the layout of a vehicle. You've got some experience behind you. Then we don't have to go into sort of fundamental electrical training because, you know, you need a starting point, uh, some level of experience so that someone can come in and kind of hit the ground running. Because as I mentioned before, we trying to make the, the course as, uh, relevant as possible. But we don't want to have to do any some of the background training to get to that point. So that's why we chose uh, level three and level four as as uh, entrance requirements.
0: And, and then, what kind of vehicles do you have in the shop there? What What are these people working on?
1: So our fleet, we've got a uh, we've got a couple of Kias, we've got a Honda Insight, Toyota Prius, Nissan Leaf, and the Chevy Volt. We're kind of working on seeing if we can get ourselves a Tesla in the, in the not too distant future. But those are the five primary vehicles that we're working on.
0: Obviously, these are experienced techs coming in. They, they understand you know, suspension systems, brakes, and things. So for them, is it more just the powertrain?
1: We, you know, we're, we're diving right into uh, primarily uh, the, the high-voltage battery types. The difference is between the different vehicles. On these vehicles, you're also working with air conditioning systems that are dependent on high-voltage uh, feeds from the battery. So you have to understand that. So you may be thinking you're working just on uh, the powertrain system, but you've got high voltage in an AC system, as an example. So all these differences or nuances between an EV versus an internal combustion engine we identify in the program. And then, of course, from there, we, we talk about some common denominators that we're seeing that technicians need to be aware of, such as disabling a high-voltage battery. So before you want to even work on a car, let's say you're just doing something minor that may not be related to the high-voltage battery, but you still need to disconnect that battery to make sure that the vehicle is safe to be uh, navigating around. So those type of things we talk about in the course, and then the, the we're using those five vehicles I mentioned as sort of the, the basis of, of our training delivery. It's also important to note that once a technician understands, you know, in this example, the five vehicles we're working on, um, at that point in time, it's quite easy for them to apply those principles to other vehicles, as long as they have access to that serv- that vehicles or that manufacturer's service information. So that's another thing that is going to be interesting to see how things develop in the coming years. Because, if if you don't mind me drifting a little bit off topic, is you know in going back with internal combustion engines, everybody had access to. Service information on internal combustion engines because of the emission laws associated with them.
0: Compression rates, things like that, that are really integral in in fixing things.
1: Right, and in, and it was bec- it was all about emissions. So when you have emissions, technicians needed to have access to that information so they can perform uh, proper services and repair of the vehicle when it's out of warranty. The interesting thing that's developing now with EVs is we don't have emissions anymore. Now manufacturers might be withholding. Uh, the ability for, if you're not connected to the OEM, the ability for technicians to access that information. So this is an interesting dynamic that's being talked about and may unfold in the future, because if we don't, as technicians, don't have access to that information, obviously you can't be working on these vehicles blind. So it's just one of those interesting uh, uh, unintended consequences of new technology enter- entering the market. Because when you sort of integrate EVs and all the uh, systems in a vehicle, um manufacturers are getting a little sensitive to how much they want to let the uh, outside into that world because of security issues. When you start talking about autonomous vehicles and things of that nature, they're all linked. So when you have access to a vehicle's computer uh, infrastructure, interesting things develop as far as access and how much information you're going to let, uh, I'll call the general public, have access to.
0: I've had, you know, someone from, from a General Motors dealership on talking about, you know, as, you know, some people say, you know, the the... The days are numbered for dealership service bays because EVs don't require much and they don't have to come in for oil changes and you don't bring them in that often. But maybe that's a way they can kind of continue to to kind of have the, the person who buys the new vehicle from them beholden to come to them because the corner shop won't have the diagnostic system to actually fix the thing.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting uh, topic of discussion as we move forward into the EV, uh, as EVs sort of you know gain more of the market share is that act, that ability to access that information. There's no question that, in my opinion, we are going to see a, a shift in how vehicles are serviced and repaired. Because I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's fairly obvious to me anyway that we are moving into a more of a software driven type of environment with most vehicles. EVs don't have a lot of, of, of ma- uh, of maintenance attached to them. Their, their service profile is a lot smaller than a vehicle with an internal combustion engine. So, how? I mean, Tesla's a really good example that you see Tesla's—they don't have the big dealerships like you see, like GMs and the Kias and and uh, Toyotas, etc. So, are we moving to that type type of environment? I I think it's a distinct possibility, but only time will tell. But you know, if if I was if if I was putting my money on, are we moved in moving to a changing environment around uh, because of EVs? I would have to say yes. Uh, only time will tell, but it, it's definitely looking like that. As far, especially when you look at the amount of software and, and uh, remote, the ability to actually diagnose and potentially pick up trouble spots on vehicles that can be done remotely these days. It's it's a really interesting time.
0: So, so as someone is who oversees this program, and you're probably tasked with the thing of looking five, 10 years ahead. Where where is our where what what are our students of the future going to require? Do you see that as kind of the software side of it is something you're going to have to teach? Or is that kind of like the the kind of information you're not going to be able to get to to even be able to teach it?
1: Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I think a lot of our technicians today, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this yourself. You, know, you look at all the new uh, technology that's been introduced in the vehicles, even over the last 10 years. Technicians have always been able to adapt to that and they're doing so as we speak. But as technology changes and advances, that also changes the type of skills required by technicians. And in our industry, it's always been sort of a natural evolution of things. And I, I remember way back when, when I was working on the bench, um, you know, to where we are now, it's never been a real shocker to technicians out there. Um, it's just, just a natural, like I said, evolution of our industry. Now, obviously, with EVs, this is a, a pretty big shift. But nonetheless, once you understand and that they, they, the technicians have the proper training to understand what those changes require and, and how they can actually work in this new mind, I don't think it's going to be that really difficult for them to adapt. Right? Because like I said, it's, been an, it's always been a natural part of what we do.
0: It would seem to me too that, you know, back in the day, in my day anyway, mechanics were always, I mean, primarily men. Pretty strong, pretty physical. And the ones that I knew who were in their 50s and 60s were pretty broken down. It was a physically demanding job. I mean, is it fair to say in the EV mechanic world, it it wouldn't be as much because you're not wrenching things as much?
1: Definitely. And the way I frame it is I don't think repairing EVs will require as much dirty work. I really don't because you've got less moving parts. Ah uh, the components on on EVs are much more spread out around, across the vehicle platforms when compared to an internal combustion engine vehicles you know you're everything's pretty much under the hood and it it's definitely going to change the landscape of what technicians uh, are able to do and need to do so yes, I think in general it's it's going to lead to a less a less a much less physical environment
0: and you won't have uh dirty hands all the time. I mean, I'm sure they'll still get dirty, but I sometimes marvel at some of the, like if you go to a Tesla shop or whatever, it's like a computer chip factory. Everybody's <laughs> dressed in white and the floor is pristine and very, very unlike a mechanic shop, what you have in your uh, memory banks.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. And, you know, even if you take a look at any of the, uh, you know, I'll call them less high-end vehicles, I don't know, maybe that's not even the, the right way to, to, to phrase it, but You know, going back, you know, several years ago, maybe a decade ago, you'd, you'd see dealerships that had a very clean and pristine environment, you know, the, the Mercedes or the Porsches. Now you're seeing that every manufacturer is presenting a very clean and professional environment because uh, that's the evolution of the vehicles. They are not, uh, they don't require as much dirty work as I call it. And EVs are only going to push that even further. It's more now, much more software driven, more, uh, uh, around the uh, the technical side of things with electronics and uh, things of that nature so you're seeing I mean it still exists but I think it's going to decrease in time especially as, as EVs become more and more mainstream there's there's no question in my mind that that's that's what we're moving through
0: Is there a, a typical student that would take this course?
1: Yeah that's a great question you know in the past our typical students were those students who had had some level of uh, hands-on experience with, a car, uh, even a, a motorcycle or something mechanical. And that's what would be sort of the, the ones that would be really engaged in taking programs like this. Nowadays, it, it's it's certainly changed. When I say nowadays, I mean, over the last decade or so, it, you're seeing a quite a sig- different shift in that. We don't get a lot of our students that have a tremendous amount of experience before they come to school. And there's many reasons for that. I mean, I'll give you one small example. In high schools, for yeah. is one example that comes to mind easily is, there isn't that many shops uh, high school programs.
0: Are there any anymore?
1: Yeah, there, are. There, there, there are, are okay. some.
0: Well, that's good to hear because I mean, back in my time, every every high school had an auto shop teacher and an auto shop section. So
1: same with uh, you know my time at, at school, but that that has dramatically dropped off, and I think that has really impacted a lot of students' abilities to get into some of the trades. In fact, I I'm, I'd even go out and say that boldly but it has impacted the ability for students entering the trades, whether it be automotive, carpentry, electrical, those type of things. And so that that has changed the you know, students that are we're seeing taking our programs. What we're trying to do right now is really highlight the technology side of the of the industry, which is not a stretch. You know, if you look at all the advanced systems on cars, you really have to be uh, a jack of all trades, right? You have your HVAC systems, you've got you know electric uh, computer networking systems, radar, driver assist systems in in vehicles nowadays, and There's a lot of sophistication in in cars today. And what I'm hoping we'll be able to attract with the technology side of things is the new set of uh, skill sets that are required for students or dealerships or shops moving forward that for students sort of be able to come into this environment. Um, It's less dirty work, uh, more on the technical side of things. Uh, And, you know, like I said, there's many different systems on on a car that hopefully will get people more excited about saying, you know what? I'd really like to investigate what it would be like to be an automotive technician because you do get involved with a lot of different uh, things on a car. It's not just, you know, changing oil, right. changing, uh, changing brake pads and things of that nature.
0: And I think for some of the younger or like for anybody under 50 now, having a laptop is kind of ubiquitous that you're, you're very comfortable in using it. And obviously you go into any shop now, be it a big dealership or a small corner shop, the laptop is almost as important as a hammer or as a, as a wrench, right? I mean, it's, it's an integral piece. So it would seem that the younger people would feel quite comfortable approaching that, where I think when probably that diagnostic came in, there were a lot of older mechanics that were just they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get their heads around it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're bang on there. That's that, that's, you know, the students that we see there, they're very, very tech savvy in that environment. They have no issues with, you know, uh, if you want to do a connection to a Bluetooth for the car, it's like, oh, yeah, they know how to do it. They don't even have to tell them, right? They're, that's just second nature to them.
0: So when do you think a school like BCIT, I mean, a big automotive program, when do you think you'll have no longer have an internal combustion engine on a bench for people to tear apart and understand? I mean, are we are we 10 years away from that? 20? I mean, will it be here for 50 years? What do you, What do you think? You have such a depth of knowledge in this field.
1: I still think we're away from that. I, I, I can't see internal combustion engines completely disappearing from our scene for at least 15 to 20 more years. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong on that. I mean, you know how things can change so quickly these days, but uh, they'll be around for a while. Um, it, you know, it's it, I don't think that's going to ever disappear or at least quickly disappear.
0: So a challenge for you guys, because you have to then train kind of two different worlds moving forward.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's, it, it is also, you know, I, we were just having discussion with with some faculty uh developing a new program just the other day. And, you know, some of them were saying, well, do we really need to go into all that in-depth stuff about internal combustion engines? And, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, because they're, they're of the new generation, like this is old technology. Why waste our time? But it's still relevant. They still have to repair them. They still have to understand that stuff. So, and again, I I don't think it's going to go away in the, in the distant uh, future. I, it, it will be with us for, at least a minimum of 15 years. I can't see it going away any quicker than that. Uh, but then again, there's a lot of other factors going on. You know, you you look at things like government rebates for buying EVs. If that continues and people, you know, and it, it continues to be very lucrative for someone to make the switch, uh, then maybe it'll accelerate things. Price of gas is another thing that might sort of tip the scales and for people to say, okay, you know, I've had enough of paying, you know, $2 a liter for gasoline. That might be something that might motivate them to switch. So,
0: Still, I mean, I love watches and there's, you know, only a few guys in Vancouver that can really fix old watches and, and good watches. So I almost think of it like that. There'll always be a few mechanic shops everywhere that are working on combustion engines and tearing them apart and rebuilding them, you know, for, I think in a hundred years, you're still going to see that.
1: For sure. And you know, a good example that is that, you know, carburetors was taken out of our curriculum, oh, I guess f- five years ago, but they, you know, fuel injection had, been introduced for a long time and, and we were still teaching some concepts around our carburetors because again they're, they're still out there they they're, they do exist and it, not so much in mainstream and automotive but you know you still had small engines like a lawnmower example so students did they needed to understand where how we got to where we are today i still think that always plays a, a big part to
0: and it, it's an art form to tune a couple of Weber carbs on an old engine, you know, you have to have it's a, it's almost by your ear, not by anything else. So it's <laughs> exactly. uh, hopefully that doesn't get lost or there'll be a lot of people with old Porsches and Volkswagens that are in trouble.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of times experienced technicians will, you know, we, we always say, you know, put your bum on the fender and tell me what it feels like. Right. right. Because you can really tell how a car is running that. That with an EV you can't do that anymore. <laughs> right, right. You might get a shock, but anyway, it it definitely changed. It just shows you how how much things have changed.
0: So, so last thing here, it's it's not so much. A, well, it is a question. You guys have a new vehicle in your fleet, which which kind of opens up a whole new world, which we could spend another half hour talking about. But just tell us quickly about that vehicle.
1: We had a really great relationship with Toyota Canada, so I must uh, acknowledge their contribution to our training. Um, but they recently have uh, loaned us a Toyota Mariah, which is a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, which I think is a fantastic vehicle. Really excited to have in our fleet because the next component to our EV training is fuel cells. Now, fuel cells are st- is still almost like the VHS Betamax kind of a game a situation going on here. Do we think fuel cell vehicles are going to enter the mainstream light duty uh, uh, vehicle market? It's debatable. They are a little bit late to the game because EVs are now, as you can see, uh, quite popular. But having this vehicle uh, with us gives us an opportunity to expose our students to this new technology. I still think uh, fuel cell vehicles are going to play a huge part with commercial transport uh, and trucks and buses. Will they actually make a a significant dent in the light-duty market? We're not sure, but it's still an interesting and a very viable means of light-duty transportation, so it's been, you know, I had a chance to drive one, uh, but like I said, we've got it here for, for uh, research and uh, teaching purposes, and also to sort of market the vehicle a little bit, but the, it's it's a fantastic vehicle, it's, it drives nice, it's just like an EV, the only difference with a PSL vehicle, other than obviously it's running on hydrogen, it's safe, <laughs> um, it's actually no more dangerous than having a tank of gasoline in your car, filling it up. You have to go to a station. There's not very many uh, hydrogen fuel cell uh, stations available in Vancouver at the moment. We're fortunate to have one across the street, but you fill it up just like you would with a gasoline uh, powered vehicle. Easy to to use. Like I said, they drive fantastic. They have some very interesting uh, technology introduced to them, which I think is just phenomenal. Again, it just shows you what we're capable of doing as an in automotive industry. I mean, the, the amount of money that manufacturers have spent uh, developing internal combustion engines is quite is remarkable. What they are able to deliver as far as uh, fuel efficiency and power out of a gasoline engine is phenomenal. And now they've sort of switched gears into transferring some of their uh, R&D into fuel cell and EVs. And we're just just beginning that. So I can't wait to see what's next um, when you look at fuel cells and, and EVs. And solid state batteries coming to the market and all those types of things but the the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle has been just a fantastic uh addition to our fleet. We just received it a month ago, so we're just started getting uh going on developing some curriculum around that particular vehicle and and uh introducing it into our our uh, program so very fortunate to have it with us.
0: Well, you know, it's been said that the most important thing for educators to have is passion. And, and you certainly seem to have that. And I know that it probably trickles down to your whole department. So uh, certainly the, the EV technicians of tomorrow seem to be in good hands with you guys.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that, Andrew. And, you know, we're really excited to be uh, entering this, this new phase of transportation for sure. So great. It's 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 really it's fun. You know, you talk about passionate um I'm more excited and passionate than I've ever been, believe it or not, in this. And I've been around the, the auto industry for quite a while, and I've always enjoyed uh, just being part of that natural evolution. And this, obviously, is a significant leap forward. Uh, I'm just glad I'm still part of it because I think it's going to be very interesting times, and I really welcome um, most uh, anybody thinking about taking a program, automotive program, to take a really serious look at, not only what's available today, but even looking forward into the future, I think uh, there's going to be some really, really um, neat things coming down the pike.
0: That's Mubasher Faruqi, Associate Dean of Automotive at BC's School of Transportation. One thing I've come to appreciate by doing this podcast is that there are complexities of the electric vehicle revolution discovered around every corner. For instance, as Mubasher alluded to, this idea that EV makers might not allow proprietary information about some of their systems to be released into the public realm, meaning mechanics and technicians not connected to a specific brand won't be able to make repairs. Just another wrinkle of many to be ironed out, I suppose. Nevertheless, it's encouraging to hear about the great work the educators at BCIT are doing by training tomorrow's EV techs today. That's it for this episode. Much thanks to my guest Mubasher Faruqi, Producer extraordinaire Dar McGuana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. At for your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. Check out the site's comparison tool for head to head shopping, and sign up for the Blind Spot newsletter delivered to your inbox every Saturday morning. And featuring a roundup of the past week's most important and most entertaining automotive news. Speaking of newsletters, check out the new FP Energy newsletter, which arrives in your inbox each Wednesday and features exceptional coverage of Canada's energy sector, including renewables and electric vehicles. Subscribe for free at financialpost.com/newsletters, and be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1, 2, and 3.